This is Real Estate Rookie episode 281. In the world of real estate, you know, 10K here, 10K there, you know, it, it doesn't seem like all that much, but for a person just starting out on their first deal, I just couldn't think, I, I was just like, how long does it take me to sell 10K worth of sneakers? I got a phone call from my wholesale. It's a house that has three units. So three units that could potentially rent out separately. I'm renting it for uh, $3,100. Uh, because they're going to take all three units. You know, uh, my cash flow on it is going to be about twelve hundred a month. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And uh, man, I, you know, we, we've had a, a string of just like amazing guests recently. Ashley and, and Michael, our guest today, is is no exception. He's he's a, a pastor by trade. And, uh, you know, he, he read the little purple Bible and, and he said that made him angry. And that's kind of what, what, uh, motivated him to take action as a real estate investor. And we just kind of hear his story of, of almost going down a really bad path with his first deal and kind of having this awakening and then getting a, a home run of a deal under contract in its place. Yeah. If you ever wondered what would happen if you go and get a property under contract and then all of a sudden you get cold feet or something happens where it's not going to work out anymore. What do you do and what are some of the consequences of that? And Michael talks through that scenario because it happened to him and he had to come down to a decision as to how much money he actually wanted to lose. And was there some opportunity cost there? What was the best way to to kind of approach that situation? Then he explains what helped him get back onto his feet and what made him angry and almost jealous that got him to to take actions on that that very first deal that he did end up getting. Yeah, you guys are going to love today's episode. But before we kick it over to Michael, we've got a review that I want to shout out uh, from someone by the username of KCKS. And Casey says, amazing podcast. I've learned so much. I listen to you guys every morning. Thank you for the information and the education. Keep up the good work. And thank you for the recommendation about local meetups. In 2023, I decided to invest my money with one of the local investors, and we were planning to go out of state next and buy more properties together. So Casey, congrats to you. And for all of our rookies that are listening, if you haven't yet, please do take the you know 73 seconds it takes to uh, open up your phone, leave us an honest rating and review. The more views we get, the more folks we can reach, and the more folks we can reach, the more folks we can help. And I also want to say thank you to everyone who's left my book, uh, Real Estate Rookie, 90 Days to Your First Investment, uh, has left a review for that either on the Bigger Pockets bookstore or in Amazon. Uh, I greatly appreciate it so much. Um, we just finished our launch period and uh, super excited with everyone that has purchased the book. And I, I really appreciate it. And the, the stories are starting to come out of people who are, are taking action. So thank you guys so much. And if you have found that the book has given you value, please uh, leave a review on Amazon or the Bigger Pockets bookstore. Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. 
Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent toretirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Awesome, Mike. Well, well, brother, welcome to the podcast, man. We're, we're excited to have you on and, and kind of dive into your story. So um, why don't you just kind of give us the, the quick backstory on uh, kind of who you are and, and how you got started in the world of real estate investing? Sure, sure. So um, I am a, I guess you can... St- I guess you can say a retired pastor now. Um, <laughs> um, cause, uh, my previous job before getting into real estate was I used to be a pastor in a church, uh, specifically an emotional health pastor. And, um, and, uh, you know, um, a lot of things happened, you know, pandemic and all of that stuff. And what happened with the pandemic was, uh, what most people don't know is that, um, churches in general took a really, really big hit in terms of their, uh, congregations. Most, most churches lost anywhere between 30 to a hundred percent of their congregations over the pandemic. And, and so, um, you know, when, uh, my wife and I relocated here to Orlando, uh, the, the job market was just nil. Uh, I just couldn't find a job. And so I started looking for, I, I, I actually studied like some Google online project management thing and tried to find like a career that way. And, um, turns out, um, turns out I, am too old <laughs> in a, in a young world. Most of the project managers that are coming in entry levels are in there like 21, 22 years old, you know, things like that. And, um, I just couldn't find work. And, um, uh, it was right around that time I was started, um, reading, uh, Kiyosaki's book, of course. Um, 
And, uh, and it was just mind blowing for me. It's just like, I, I came away from that, uh, book feeling angry, just really upset because I feel like, you know, we've been fed this lie our entire life where we have to like get our nine to five, you know, go to school, do all of that stuff. And I think it was the first time. And, you know, I took loans out for school and all of that stuff. And I came to the conclusion that I had been duped and I hated that. Michael, you know, we, we've had so many people on the podcast talk about rich dad, poor dad, but I don't think any of them have ever, um, phrased their interpretation of that book and, and the way that it, it made them upset. Um, but I, I, I do think it's such a, such an interesting take on it because I think that anger is probably more fueling and, and can kind of incite action in a way that, you know, being motivated or inspired from the book probably wouldn't do by itself. But, but anger is a, a strong motivator, mo- motivating factor in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it was. You know, uh, around the same time, uh, my wife started. Uh, so, you know, up until this point, you know, ministry doesn't exactly. It, it's not really a cash cow in terms of that. Let's just put it that way, right? And but you know, it was something that I love doing. I love taking care of people. I love helping people with their problems and all of that. But and and my wife up to this point has been the breadwinner of our family and kind of supporting us and you know and um, allowing me to kind of work the job of my dreams you know in, in a sense. Tell me about that dynamic. So, what were your personal finances like before you got into real estate? So, were you really great at budgeting because you had lived off you know a low income? Did you live below your means, or did you feel like you were always struggling uh, and you were actually bad with your finances? Kind of give us that that picture. Thankfully, um, we were not um, your prototypical pastoral family story. Um, I know a lot of pastoral families, they live kind of, you know, um, below standard and all of that stuff. But thankfully, uh, my wife uh, made enough to really support us to have like a relatively comfortable lifestyle. Um, And so, uh, you know, that's that really wasn't an issue for us per se. Like, it, you know, it wasn't like we were going out and, you know, <laughs> just blowing cash left and right. We still had to live, you know, uh, within a certain budget and whatnot. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we were okay in that regard, but I do know that, um, I have lots of friends of mine who, uh, are that prototypical stereotypical pastoral story where, you know, they're, working 60 hours a week and making 45 K a year, you know, <laughs> and, you know, things like that. So, so what made you, if things were okay for you, things were going good, what made you want to get into real estate? So you had mentioned, you know, not a lot of people were going to church. Did that kind of impact your income? And then it got to the point where you're like, okay, I'm not gonna, I can't afford to do this anymore? What was like that actual reasoning as to why you decided there's got to be something else out there? Well, I mean, um, so after we moved down here to Orlando, um, my wife, unfortunately started developing some minor health complications and, um, you know, like, I mean, it wasn't anything major. It wasn't anything, you know, life threatening or anything like that, but, um, it was a little bit concerning because I know that, um, you know, she's been working hard for us for the last 10, 12 years, you know, and I really do think that it's, um, taken its toll. I mean, she's, you know, she's, um, she, she's been, she, she's been remote, uh, before it was cool. Right. Um, <laughs> and, uh, 
Uh, so she's been re- remote for 12 years or so. And actually, uh, what a lot of people don't know is that actually takes a, a toll on your body um, just from sitting, you know, day in, day out, sitting at a computer screen day in and day out. I mean, it sounds really amazing from the surface, but there are some consequences to it. And we, we're just starting to see some of those uh, issues. And so, um, you know, I, I talked about it with her and such and um, came to the conclusion that maybe, maybe not at this stage of our life where uh, I have, I, I think the job that I love doing has to take a back seat and I need to make some cash and need to really take over the brunt of, you know, the, um, the, the breadwinning, you know, um, as quickly as I possibly can, you know? And so uh, that kind of coincided with Kiyosaki's book and bigger pockets and all of that stuff. And so it was just like this one big, um, uh, perfect storm. Well, Michael, thank you for being so open and honest and, and sharing that with us, because I I think there's people that are going to be able to relate to that, but also people who don't want to get into the situation where that does happen and they're not prepared with some kind of backup plan or whatever that may be. So thanks for sharing that. Okay. So now that you've had that moment, Michael, what's next? So you're ready to take action. What is that action? What are the first things you do to actually become a real estate investor? I think one of the first things that you need to do I'm post education and you've decided to take that action is to take that scary first step. Right. And, uh, one of the first steps that I took was, uh, uh, and this is actually another part of the story. Um, so, um, while I was doing pastoral work, um, I have this, um, I have this, I have this side hobby that kind of turned into a business, um, and, uh, I was, uh, flipping, uh, flipping sneakers and, um, uh, and, you know, it was something I started like five, six years ago and, you know, started with 500 bucks, bought a couple of sneakers, resold them, resold them, resold them. And, um, you know, I, I, I made a pretty decent amount of money considering, you know, that I was doing it only part-time and putting very little effort into it. And so one of the first things that I did was I took all that money from sneakers and uh, put it into a an account and said, I'm not touching this. This is just for real estate. And probably the biggest step that I took with that money was spending um, an ungodly am- amount of money to um, sign up for a uh, um, a uh, mastermind course, right? And from this uh, woman on YouTube that I was following and and, you know, I got so much content from her. She was local. She was great and all of that stuff. But uh, I actually made a, a very big mistake there because um, um, I I uh, I paid a lot of money for the course. And it turns out that uh, she was kind of a dud. And, and uh, I felt a little duped. I mean, it's not like I didn't learn anything, but I didn't but I didn't learn what's you know, uh, what I wanted to learn. Yeah. So I, I definitely want to talk a little bit more about your experience and, and getting dudes. But before I go to that, you, you said something I want to go back to. Um, you said there was the, the post-education and then you knew you were ready to, to take that first scary step. But I think that's where a lot of new investors get 
get kind of stuck, Michael, is that they they can't determine when does that education stop and when should the action start. So what what was the the moment for you where you said, okay, my education is done. Now it's time for me to take action. Um, the moment for me. Um, that's a good question. I don't think that there was a moment. Like I think after the initial reading of Kiyosaki's book, I, I, uh, I had already made the decision. All right, I'm changing my life, you know? And, um, like it's, it, it's not about what it's going to cost me, you know? Um, but it's about the potential gain, you know? Um, we, in the church, we talk, we talk a lot about scarcity mindset versus abundance mindset. And, uh, 95% of us live in scarcity mindset. What if I lose this? What if I, you know, what if I spend this and I don't get it back and, and whatnot? Um, but the question we should really be asking is what if it works out? You know, what am I going to do then? <laughs> you know? And so, uh, you know, we, um, so after I buzzed that by my wife and she was on board, um, I, I bought the course, but also, uh, I took the step of putting a HELOC on our house and, uh, on our primary resident, which, which was scary. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Uh, even though no money was actually coming out, just the, just, just taking the steps of filling it out and doing the HELOC was like, oh my God, this is real. <laughs> like, so let's talk a little bit about your getting your wife on board. Was she always on board with this when you're like, I want to leverage our primary? Was everything okay? Or were there some deep conversations? Just give us a little insight to that, please. Yeah. Um, she was, I mean, my wife is, is wonderful, right? And she's generally very supportive of my crazy ideas. Um, uh, she was supportive of my sneaker idea. She was supportive of the idea of me going into the church and doing ministry and whatnot. Um, now I've never presented anything to her of this magnitude. Um, uh, so it, it took a few more days for her to get on board, but generally she, she was, uh, she was very open to it. She had heard people being successful in the field. So she knows that it's not a complete dud of an idea. Um, and, um, you know, I, uh, I'll be honest with you. I inceptioned her a little bit. So whenever, <laughs> whenever we were in the car, um, you know, it would just so happen that bigger pockets would be on, you know, I mean, a great idea, right? Like just, you know, planting those little tiny seeds. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. So how, how much convincing did it take Michael for her to be okay with the HELOC? Because, uh, that, that, like you said, it's a big step, right? And, and was she immediately on board? Because it's okay to say, honey, go invest in real estate. It's another to say, Hey, I want to use the equity from our, our home where we live or, you know, where we, we keep a roof over our heads to, to actually do this. So what did that conversation look like? Um, I think she was a lot more okay with the, f with the fact that we're not actually, um, taking money out of the equity. Like it's, you know, I, I know how a HELOC works. I know it's a line of credit and all of that stuff, but there's nothing physically being withdrawn out of the, the house itself. So conceptually, that kind of made her feel a little bit more at ease. Um, and so uh, that that was helpful. I think it would have been different if uh, I had proposed a cash out refi. You know, I think I think that that would have gone very differently. Uh, with with that. Uh line of credit, what made you decide to do that HELOC? Was that just you looked at 
everything and that was your only options, um, instead of, you know, putting 20% down, why did you actually decide to do the line of credit or was it from the, the coaching that you were receiving at the time? No, no, neither. Um, uh, again, uh, just going back to the, con- the concept of the HELOC where you're not actually taking anything out was, was very attractive to me. Um, even though, even though the interest rate is higher, you know, all of that stuff, I just liked the idea of money not leaving, you know, uh, home base. Yeah. I, I guess re- just really quickly, Michael, if you can uh, explain the difference to our rookie audience between uh, a cash out refi and a HELOC. And if you can explain like the terms of the HELOC, like, you know, what kind of interest rate you were given, the how long you had to pay that that HELOC back and just kind of break it down for the listeners. Sure, sure, sure. So um, a cash a cash out refi versus a HELOC are, are two very different things. Um, so a HELOC is home equity line of credit, which is basically um, in a nutshell, in, a, in simplistic terms, is like a credit card that uses your house as collateral. All right. We are entrusting you with X amount of money. Um, and uh, as long as you continue to make your payments and pay it back and, and whatnot, your, uh, every time you make a, make a payment, you get back X amount of credit. So just like in a credit card, right? Um, so that's in a nutshell what a, what a HELOC is. While a home equity line of credit, or no, in in a cash out refi, um, you're going to the bank and saying, all right, I paid 200K for my home and now it's worth 400K. All right. So bank, um, here's, uh, I want you to give me $200,000 in cash and you give me a new loan at 400K. And so so you take out the, so you get to do whatever you need to do with the 200K. Uh, but now your monthly payment is significantly higher. Your interest rate is significantly higher and your home no longer has the equity in it. Yeah. I think, um, you know, in the last couple of years or excluding the last like year or so, but like 2020, 2021, where interest rates were still like historically low, you actually saw a lot of people doing the cash out refi versus the HELOC because they could cash out refi, access more capital. And a lot of people were actually able to keep their payments the same, maybe even bring them down because if they had their original note at a 5% and they're refined at a 2.75, they could actually pull all that capital out and, and be in a better position. But I think where we're at today with interest rates, um, it, it's you're, you're probably going to see less cash out refis because who wants to refi from a three percent up to a, a five and a half or a six or a seven? Um, Ash, have you have you done any lines of credit recently on any of your your properties? No, but the lines of credits that I do have increased in interest rates since they're variable. So I went from uh, one was a five percent interest rate, and it's now at eight point seven five. And then the other one started out at a six percent, and that one's now at like nine point five. I think it it last was. Um, so the interest rates on my line of credits have greatly increased. Uh, one thing that I did I am working on right now is doing a refinance or yeah, doing a cash out refinance a property I bought in cash that I'm doing a cash out refinance and I'm actually doing a seven year fixed rate. Um, and then it will go to variable after seven years, but it's still amortized over 30 years. So I'm getting a better interest rate because it's only fixed for seven years instead of the standard 30 
you know, 20, 15 years. And then, you know, my plan is that I just have to prepare myself what interest rates are going to be after that seventh year um, so that I can, you know, refinance, I can pay it off, but make sure I have some kind of action plan. But right now I'm getting 5.125% on this property for the interest rate for seven years. And if I would have done a a 30-year fixed rate, it would have been, I think, like 6.75% on it, the property. So a big difference there, but also, you know, risky, who knows what interest rates will be in seven years too. So hopefully I, my plan would be like, I have a backup plan to just pay it off if, if that does happen. So I wouldn't do this on every property. So if I'm buying 10 properties this year, I'm not going to go and put these seven year fixed uh, mortgages on them because all of a sudden I'm in year seven and now I have 10 properties that the interest rates are doubling or going up or I have to refinance all of them. So that's something very important to think about too. If you are doing these shorter term fixed rates that you're staggering them so you don't have all of these loans due at the same time or need to refinance at the same time too. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. When Bigger Pockets started podcasting, no one thought we needed a store, but then books, so many books, best-selling books, rookie books, partnership books. We needed the best real estate bookstore ever, so we chose Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch stage to the first order stage to the, did we just sell out the whole store stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling real estate books or retro clothing, Shopify's platform helps you sell everywhere, online or in person. Now, speaking of online, did you know Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better than other leading commerce platforms? And no matter how big you grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control of your business. And that's why we chose Shopify for the Bigger Pockets bookstore. So sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash bprookie, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash bprookie now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash bprookie. Michael, so once you once you go out and get this, this HELOC, um, how much capital do you have access to? And then what do you do to deploy that capital? Well, so the plan with the HELOC was um, I figured I wanted to f- flip a house. I, wa- I, I just, you know, um, it's my first foray into real estate. It seems like um, outside of wholesaling, uh, flipping a house seems the most straightforward. You 
put money into it and you sell it at a higher price. It's, it's very much like flipping a sneaker, right? Um, and so that was kind of the plan and hence the reason why the, uh, with the HELOC, cause the HELOC, um, I know that I was getting a much, much higher interest rate than your, your normal stuff. And so I figured, you know, if I'm flipping a house within two to three months, it's okay because I'm paying back the HELOC after three months, you know, and just uh, that was the original plan. Uh, didn't work out that way. <laughs> I was going to say, you said original plan. It makes me think there was, there was something else that went on. Yeah, yeah. So the original plan was to go and do the flip, but it turned out that I bought a buy and hold instead, you know, and instead of using the HELOC, um, I dipped into my sneaker money to make your down payment and and uh, and to buy the my first rental property. Okay, so let's go into that. You bought a flip, but it ends up being a buy and hold. What does that mean? How did that property transition? <laughs> well, so it, so they're actually, uh, they're two different properties. And um, uh, I, I feel like um, maybe I'll start with the success first, and then I'll tell you about the failure. Was this the, which was the first property that you bought or you bought them the same time? Um, so no. So my very first, um, contract that I went under, went under was actually a, uh, I was going to flip it. Right. And it was, uh, it was an ideal situation. Right. Um, my, uh, realtor sent me this listening where, um, uh, the house was in a beautiful location. You know, it was distressed. Um, it had a hoarder in there and, um, but uh, there were very few pictures on the, um, you know, on the MLS, you know, it was, it, it was, and the, the price was very, very low, you know? And so I went over to go take a look at it um, just to drive by and see. And uh, there was this woman outside who was just walking around and she was asking me, are you here to see the property? And I was like, yeah, how'd you know? She's like, you just had that look about you, right? <laughs> and, uh, and then she said, well, you can't go in there. I was like, why not? She's like, because the person in there is, um, you know, is not leaving. And part of the reason why it's priced so low is because they're not leaving and you, you'd be inheriting that problem. Right. And so I was like, you know, in, um, you know, in the new mastermind that I got, got into, um, they, they were like, those are, those are the situations you look for. Those are the situations you look for because you can get a really good deal on those kinds of things. So I was like, oh, sweet, right? And it also turned out that she lived in the house next door and um, her house was for sale as well. And it turns out that she owned both the houses. So I was like, hey, <laughs> you know, like – can you give me a, like, can you give me a discount if I take them both? And she's like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, we built up beautiful rapport. Uh, I went inside her house and it turned out that she was just like a giant star Wars nerd. Right. And, um, and you know, I'm also a star Wars nerd and she showed me like, she, she had like memorabilia from like the original movie. She, so she put C, C3PO's finger on me and stuff. And it's like the original finger. And, you know, we geeked out for about 45 minutes. <laughs> so I went in there with my contractor and, um, 
you know, we both looked at it and stuff like that. And, and it looked like it needed about, you know, 50 K worth of work. There's, you know, it, it was distressed, you know, but it didn't look like it needed that much work. And, and Michael, how did you, how did you get to know that? Like going in there and eyeballing it? Why did you feel comfortable that you could kind of gauge what the rehab costs would be? Um, I mean, I went in there and, with my contractor. Yeah, let, let's pause and that just really quickly, Michael. How how did you find that contractor? Because I think as as a new investor, that's one of the sticking points always is how do I find someone reliable to give me a bid? And did you pay this person to walk the property with you? Just just walk us through how you found them and, and why they agreed to give you that bid. Sure, sure. So my contractor, uh, so when I first um, uh, came here to Orlando, um, one of the first things I started looking for is like, uh, as a church job. Right. And so, um, the first thing I did was I emailed every pastor, you know, it, at every church, you know, within like a five to 10 mile radius, you know, and, um, I met this one guy who happened to be from Maryland and we had a great conversation and stuff. And it turns out that, uh, on the side, because ministry doesn't pay, pay well, um, he was a GC. He's a general contractor. Right. And so, um, fast forward, I called him up and said, Hey, I'll be honest with you. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Um, but you do. Um, do you mind if you, if we start, you know, working together? He was like, yeah, absolutely. And so we have that tie, that bond of both of us being pastors and stuff. Shout out, shout out to you, Josh. Uh, I know you're listening. So, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, like if if the listeners uh could learn anything about that like you just never know who's a who's a contractor you just never know who does house stuff ask around networking is number 1 like if you want to find a good gc somewhere like touch all your friends touch all your family members you know you just never know you know who who um is going to be able to do good work for you cuz once you have that it, once you have an existing relationship, an existing time, the likelihood of them being able to do good work for you at a reasonable price goes up exponentially. You know, you're not shooting in the dark. You know, Ash and I talk about this all the time is like, even if you're a new or, or aspiring investor, you should be talking about your aspirations and you should be talking about this journey that you're going on. And even if that's as simple as taking a, a, a photo of the book that you're reading and posting that to your Facebook or to your Instagram, um, or a, a video of you at the local real estate meetup and posting that to your TikTok or to your YouTube channel. But as you, as you share more about this journey that you're going on, you start to identify all of the people who are in your network and your extended network that just like you said, Michael, you never knew, you never would have imagined had an interest in, in real estate, but they do and they are and they're active or they know someone else. And that's how you start to, to build those connections. So you you find this contractor through through your, your pastoral connections and, and he walks a property with you. Um, you land on 50K. So uh, what, what happens from there? Now, I knew that there was a lot of competition for these two properties, right? Um, there was uh, the people who were walking through... All, at the same time that I was walking through and stuff, there, there, there was probably eight or nine people and they were all obviously investors because they were dressed like investors. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and so my realtor, she advised me like, Hey, we, we need to go in pretty aggressive with this. So, um, what I chose to do, everybody knows that uh, last year, the year before real estate was crazy and you had to do some, some crazy stuff to secure, right? Um, uh, Florida is still hot. 
Um, and so there's still a lot of competition here. Um, and so I went in, I felt pretty confident about my numbers. And so I went in with a, with a, an offer that was a little bit lower than everybody else's offer, but I waived all my contingencies. Um, and that turned out to be, uh, a hard lesson. Um, uh, I still feel like I won because I got a really great education Look at you, so positive. I mean, I'm trying to be, man. Cause like, yeah, no, that's great. Like, it was an opportunity cost to you. Like, the, so explain what that cost ended up being as to what did you learn and and what came out of the contingencies. So I'm, I'm saying by waiving contingencies, you didn't do the inspection. Uh, was there any other kind of contingency waived, like, uh, you know, no survey or anything like that? Um, no, nothing like that. It was just no inspection. And Michael, if I can, if I can just add before before you go on, just um, the the reason why the no contingency for our listeners is, is such a big deal is because typically when you have a purchase agreement for a piece of real estate, you have what's called the contingency in your contract, which means if you identify something during you know whatever time period, sometimes it's fourteen days, sometimes it's twenty one days, sometimes it's thirty days, but if you have if you identify something that is you know a material change from what you initially understood the the, the property to be, so maybe there's a, a major defect with the plumbing or the electrical or just some big thing that you didn't understand before, you now have the right as the buyer to take back what any uh, any earnest money that you that you put down and you can walk away from that contract, um, you know, clean and, and scot-free. So what Michael did was, hey, I'm not going to do any of those inspections and I'm, I'm going to commit uh, on day one to purchasing that property. And and obviously there's some, some risks uh, in front of that. What, what are your thoughts on that, Ash? Well, Tony, I was going to ask you, what are you doing uh, right now when you're making offers? Are you putting any contingencies in? Now I am because the market has shifted, right? Um, I think last year is a little harder to do that. But now we're like, even if even if there's nothing wrong with the house, most proper offers that we're putting in, we're still asking for some kind of credit because you know that that's kind of where the market is at right now. We know that there's not a lot of competition for these properties. So I shared on one of the other one of our other episodes, we were able to negotiate like almost 100K off of an asking price for a property that we're working on right now. So I mean, are, are you doing that right now too, Ash? Well, yeah, I was doing no contingencies because a lot of the properties I was buying anyways were just so dilapidated that, you know, an inspection is really not going to tell me anything more than I already don't know. <laughs> hey, you need to fix everything. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, I don't need the inspector's note saying um, this outlet should be, you know, the outlet cover is cracked and needs to be replaced. Like, the whole wall is falling down. But um I actually just did an offer this morning where for the first time in a long time, I put in an inspection contingency that I was going to have an inspection done on the property uh, because I, I agree like the market has shifted and that there is more like wiggle room to allow for contingency. So, Michael, when when did you put this offer in where you ended up waiving contingencies? What, what time period is this? Um, so this happened December. Of this last year, I, I put the earnest money down, and um, and we uh, a- after all of that had happened, there, there was some probate stuff that uh, ended up delaying the closing um, a couple of months, and uh, and this wound is actually kind of very recent and still a little bit raw, I'll be honest with you, because <laughs> uh, we we finally finished up with it actually in February, and what had happened was we went in there. 
my contractor and I uh, were doing some walkthroughs and we went in there to kind of start planning out what the rehab was going to look like and stuff. And the rehab was not $50,000. Um, there was a lot of stuff that they were, the, um, the sellers were hiding. Um, it was not, it's not $50,000 per house anymore. It is $180,000 per house. Per a house. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so, you know, um, I went back to the seller and, and, and I was just like, we can't, we can't, we can't buy your house. This is insane. <laughs> like how much, like it was, it, I mean, the things that were wrong with this house were just, um, stuff that they hid and, you know, there was septic tank issues. There was animals living in the, in the roof, in the ceiling, you know, um, it, it's like everything that you can think of that needed to be done, needed to be done. Michael, can I, I just want to ask, so once you, you, you discovered those additional issues, um, after you closed on the property or is it still during like the escrow period? It was still during the escrow period. So how much, how much earnest money did you have to put down to secure that contract? 10,000 per house. Got it. So $20,000 total in earnest money deposit. Did you at any point, uh, consider just leaving, walking away, like leaving the 20 K in there and, and, and not doing the rehab or I guess like, like, how, like how did you weigh those decisions? I guess. So when I tried to go back to the seller and at least try to negotiate that down a little bit, she was, she was just like, no, you know, I had, I have, uh, 15 other offers on the table and I accepted yours, you know, we're going, we're, we're doing this. And I was like, I, I can't, like, if I were to do this, like, you know, the, I, I would be paying in more than the ARV is. <laughs> and, and so my, my realtor actually did a really great job. She and the other real estate agent just kind of went back and forth and I didn't lose 20 K I lost 10. So we decided to split it evenly, you know, which I'll be honest with you. I feel, I feel fortunate to even come away with the 10. Got it. So, so you did walk away from the deal altogether. You said, Hey, I'm not going to move forward with it. Okay. And, and I think that's a, that's a really important point because it, it, like for a lot of our rookies, sometimes it is cheaper to just lose your EMD than it is to move forward with the deal. Because I mean, if, if you're talking 50 K per house to 180 per house, that's a, that's a massive, massive, massive difference. And you would have lost way more than 10,000 had you moved forward with the deal. So even for our rookies that are listening, I think the point I want to get across is, um, sometimes losing your EMD is the smartest choice. And I think you represented that exceptionally well here, Michael. I've actually done that before. It was $2,500 and we had to walk away for the deal. It would have been way too expensive um, and just didn't work out. And we ended up walking away and leaving the 2,500. And I like, I felt so bad that we were walking away from the deal, like on the, the, to the sellers that like, you know, we had a contract and everything and that we were walking away from it, that I, I did, I didn't feel bad about that 2,500. I actually felt bad that I wasn't giving them more money for walking away from the deal. But, um, but I agree. It's way better to lose some money now, uh, lose that 10 grand now than to lose a hundred thousand, you know, later on. Yeah. We had a similar experience. We had a property actually in, in New York, Ash, that, that bed and breakfast we were looking at and we lost 5k on that EMD. Um, because after kind of walking the property and doing everything, we realized there were some issues that we didn't anticipate up front. So it happens to the best of us, Michael. You you just got yours a little bit earlier in the game. That's all. Michael, I I have a question real quick. And they have the houses sold. 
And have you checked to see how much they actually sold for? Uh, so apparently they're under contract. Um, so I don't, I, I don't see what the final number is yet until it actually closes. That'd be interesting to see and kind of follow what happens with the properties. You know, if they sit as is or someone does fix them up. Yeah. Okay. So then what, what goes on after that? So you're ready to take on, uh, try again, take on the next deal. So what's the next deal look like? Well, you know, I'll be honest with you. Like, um, I went at, right after all of that. Um, I, uh, I, I, I took a, a really, really big blow to my, my confidence. Um, cause, you know, like, you know, in the, in the, in the world of real estate, you know, 10K here, 10K there, you know, it, it doesn't seem like all that much, but for a person just starting out on their first deal, um, I just couldn't think, I, I was just like, how, how long does it take me to sell 10K worth of sneakers? Right. How long would that t- to end? And, um, I, I spent a good week or so just like contemplating, did I make the right decision? You know, and did I, am, am I in over my head and, and whatnot? And, uh, but, uh, you know, it was actually in my mastermind group where, um, I, uh, so our mastermind group has like this little, like, um, uh, band group band is like an app where it's like a Facebook group for just certain groups of people. Right. And, um, there were people that I knew that had joined, uh, later than me, um, that were getting deals and, um, and they were less experienced than me. They didn't know as much as me, but they were getting deals. Right. And, um, I don't know when I was, when I was going through that, like I, my, um, I'm, I'm very competitive and my competitive spirit just kind of flared up and I got mad at them. Right. <laughs> Cause like, what, why do I have to, why do, why do I have to go through this crappy deal where I lose money and stuff like that? And here are these newbies who have been in the group for, you know, two months, you know, um, and they're getting deals in my area. You know? And, and so, um, that, that's really what got me restarted and restart, uh, started uh, making offers again and, you know, touching all my networks again and, and, and whatnot. And uh, interestingly enough, the very next week um, I got a phone call from my wholesale, from one of the wholesalers that I've been talking up. Uh, and, um, and he was like, Mike, you need to come see this property. It's a unicorn. Um, you need to come see it like today. So I was like, all right, I'll do it. And so I went over there and um it really was a unicorn property um so uh it was it's it's a house that has three units uh, it's got three separate units on it so there's a there's a main house it's a three bedroom two bath um there's a a smaller like um shed thing that you can definitely renovate and rent out and turn it into a little su- studio and then they ha- also had a mother-in-law suite so three units that could potentially rent out separately. Um, the asking price, um, including the assignment fee, was only two forty. The ARV on it was four hundred. And according, and I walked the property with my contractor. According to it, just to get it up and running without all the beauty, beauty and cosmetics and stuff was only fifteen. You know, and so I, I had a moment of conflict inside me because you know I was still traumatized from the previous experience. It's still kind of raw. Um, but against how I was feeling at the moment, like all the numbers lined up in my head. And so I went ahead and put down another, another 10 K 
for the EMD. You know, that was, that was three weeks ago. Did you have any competition or you were buying direct from the wholesaler then? Was this deal just brought to you or was it brought to other buyers that you were in competition or was it you just got first dibs? If you could pay what they wanted, then you were good. How did that kind of work out? So there were definitely other buyers, um, but uh, my wholesaler, he brought it to me first, you know, and he basically said, whoever, whoever puts the EMD in my hand first gets it. Michael, just one, one follow-up question on that. How did you find that wholesaler? So one of the first things I did when I uh, arrived in Orlando was I joined every Orlando Central Florida area Facebook group. And then I crafted together this uh, Facebook post that said, hey, you know, um, I, I'm looking for a realtor who's going to be investor friendly. I need them to be able to do, you know, five, six, seven comps for me every single day, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, is anybody interested? And I just kind of blasted that out. And uh, I've got like within an hour or so, I think I must've gotten like 35 emails, you know, with people who are interested. And most of them were wholesalers and whatnot. And, you know, especially at the beginning of a journey, you do have to sift through them and figure out who the good ones are and who are not. Um, but that's how I found my realtor. And that's how I found my, you know, one of my three really great wholesalers um, who aren't, you know, charging an enormous assignment fee. And that's kind of how I, I, I form my network here. Michael, let's it, let's get it back into the deal as far as the numbers. So you said this was three weeks ago. Have you closed on the property and have you begun the rehab? Yeah. yeah. So closing was three weeks ago. And is the rehab done or is it still going on? Rehab should be done sometime next week. And here we go back to relationships. Uh, turns out that my contractor knew another contractor who needed a place to live. And so we locked up that contract. It's he rented out all three units, um, him and his, uh, his family and his, his, uh, newly, newly wed daughter, um, and her new husband are moving in there into the little mother-in-law suite and stuff. So, I mean, it was just like a dream scenario. And I really feel like, you know, I hit a home run with this one. <laughs> so what's going to be your, your cash flow? And well, first of all, what are you going to be renting it out for? The market rent, uh, if you consider all three units, about 3,300. Um, I'm renting it for uh, 3,100 uh, because they're going to take all three units. You know, uh, my cash flow on it is going to be about 1,200 a month. Um, that's gross. Awesome. Congratulations. That's really good. I, and that's interesting that they're you're do, they're renting all three units. We actually had a guest on, uh, Ryan John. I don't remember what episode it is, but someone local to me. And his first duplex that he got was somebody who had a larger family. And they're like, you can, you really, it's really hard to find uh, rentals in the area that are three bedrooms. Um, and they needed like four, I think it was. And so they ended up renting the whole duplex from him. And he did the same thing. I think too, where you give them a little bit of a discount because it was just one tenant he had to manage now instead of the two separate families living in there, which was more of a convenience for him. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, Michael, uh, thank you so much for kind of sharing that, that deal for us. I want to take us now to our rookie request line. So if you guys would like to call in, you can call in at one 888 5 leave Tony and I a voicemail and we may play it here on the show for our guests to answer. Hello, my name is Sandra from Corona, California. 
My question to you is how much do you think I should have in the bank before I start investing when I am looking at houses within the 200 to 275,000 range? Thank you. My advice would be don't don't worry about the money. My advice would be to go and find the deal first. Um because in my experience, in my very limited experience, I've, I've come to the conclusion that if you find a good deal, um, money will fly into your email box. People will just throw in money at you, you know? Um, and there are ways to get into the property and to buy a property without putting any of your own money in. And it's actually not as hard as you would think. So, um, I would say, don't wait till you ha- don't wait till you have money in your bank account. Go and find the deal first. Yeah, and I I think the only thing I would add on to there is having like three to six months reserves uh, for yourself for the property. But you most likely won't know what that amount is until you have the property as to what as far as what your mortgage payment will be, what your insurance, your property taxes would be. Um, you can kind of guess that on, especially if you know kind of the budget range you're looking at and what property taxes are for properties around that range. Uh, it, but if you take on a partner, uh, they could maybe possibly have the reserves where you don't have to have them. Uh, that was my first partner. I had little to no savings. I think maybe I had $5,000 and I ended up using that to put a new electric panel in and to put a new split unit in my first duplex. But other than that, all the reserves, like that was on the partner that I took on to kind of have that security blanket. I think the just one last thing to add to that too, Ash, I, I think like it also depends on what your strategy is. So like say that Sandra, you want to house hack and maybe you want to use the the knock alone. So we just had Nancy Rodriguez from Love is Blind on and, and she got her first property using NACA. And NACA allows you to get into a a uh, primary residence, whether single family or multifamily, uh, with zero down or no closing costs. And I know some people that have closed with NACA where they actually get a refund because they got credits from the seller at closing. So imagine you go out, you get a, a four unit, you're living in one unit, renting out the other three. Um, I still think Ashley's point about getting the reserves is super important uh, if you don't have the, a capital partner there. But Sandra, I think it all depends on kind of what your strategy is and and um, and how you plan to to use that property. Okay, Michael, are you ready for the rookie exam? Let's do it. Okay. The first question is, what is one actionable thing rookies should do after listening to this episode? The one actionable thing is that you should go and attend your local real estate meetings. Just go attend every event that they have. Um, I would go and meet as many people as you want, as you can. Um, bring something that resembles a business card. Um, just in a way to get in contact with you and go and have coffee with a bunch of people. I love that. All right. Question number two, Michael, what's one tool, software app or system that you use in your business? Um, I use Privy a lot. Uh, Privy is an excellent, um, excellent comp tool that I find to be, uh, very accurate. And, um, it's an, it's an amazing app where, um, not only do you get the comp numbers and stuff, if there's pictures that are uh, already um, attached to the comps, you can see the pictures. And so you can kind of figure out like what's the uh, level of rehab you would have to do to get it up to that comp level. Okay. And the last question is, where do you plan on being in five years? <laughs> well, in five years, hopefully um, I will, 
I uh, hope that my wife will be able to quit her job and that uh, I'll be um, just just uh, playing with my kids during in the middle of the day, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, that's that's where I'm planning on being. Yeah, I love that goal, Michael. All right, brother. Well, I'm going to, before we close it out, I'm going to take it to the rookie rock star. So this week's rookie rock star is Tim Weston. And Tim says, Hey, fellow rookies, excited to share. I just closed my first long term rental and I'm about to put it on the market with only a vision back in February to start this journey of rental property investing. I set a goal to have my first property by mid year and I did it. So I started in March, spending time learning and researching, found and joined Bigger Pockets, and then attended the rookie boot camp. Shout out to you, Ash. Um, from that, I gained the confidence to place offers on multiple properties and landed a two-bedroom townhouse in a gated community here in Orlando. Here's to door number one. So Tim, congrats to you on taking action. And uh, Ashley, congrats to you on uh, making some some life's change in the rookie bootcamp. You know, we have amazing guest speakers that come on and just the people that join up for the bootcamp and take action. I love hearing those success stories. And we actually just decided the other day that we're going to do one over the summer. Originally, we were only going to do two sessions this year, but um, we have a long wait list, so we're doing another summer session. So if you guys want to get involved, go to biggerpockets.com slash bootcamps to sign up. Okay. And, uh, Michael, we will be seeing you in what about nine months here, maybe a little less, uh, for the bigger pockets conference in Orlando. So if you guys want to meet Michael in person, you guys are inspired by his story, want to find out more, you can attend the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Conference that is happening October 15th to 17th. You can go to biggerpockets.com slash events for more information. And Michael, if they can't wait until the conference, where can people reach out to you? They can reach out to me on Instagram. Uh, at Pastor Mike seven nine and uh, yeah, and I'm um, it, I'm uh, just starting to get into that social media game, so it's a little sparse, but I do answer my DMs. So, okay, awesome. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining us on this week's Real Estate Rookie Podcast. Uh, we really enjoyed having you. Thank you for having me. I was just so excited to be here. What a great episode uh, with Michael. I think he's very relatable as to kind of that thought process of if other people are doing this, what well, I should be doing it too. Like when he talks about how people in his mastermind group that had just joined were getting deals and he hadn't yet. And it kind of gave him that competitive edge, like, okay, I need to get this done. Um, I think that can be very relatable and also motivate you. So maybe if you're that type of person that use that don't turn it into anger or take that anger, turn it into, you know, motivation to push yourself to, to kind of get that done. But overall, I think this was a, a really great episode. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, we've been talking about this for a while, but I love that he was flipping sneakers to help fund his real estate business. Like I feel like as we've been interviewing a lot of these rookies recently, we've heard so many different side hustles that folks have used to, uh, to fund. So we had Ava who talked about, uh, they were what, like couch flipping initially. And then she started her social media side hustle. 
Um, we had the recent guest who was uh, in the vending machine space and um, now Michael with the the sneakers. So there, there's so many creative ways to, to fund your real estate business. So if you're sitting here and you're watching or, or listening and saying, I don't have the capital, we have a recent string of guests who are all proof that there are so many ways to make it happen. And um, just w- one other thing that Michael mentioned that I loved was he talked about taking that scary first step. And, um, and I think that's such an important thing for all of our rookies is to identify when it's time to take that scary first step. And that's how you kind of beat that analysis paralysis. Uh, today's social media shout out that I want to highlight is our guest that we just had on Saturday for a rookie reply is Pace Morby. So if you guys missed this past week's rookie reply, go back and listen. Episode 280. Um, Pace's Instagram is at Pace Morby, his name. But you go through and I couldn't even pick one specific post uh, to actually share on here because it's all such great content. So one uh, that he recently just posted were tips on ways to go direct to seller. Uh, sometimes I think there's a huge advantage in talking, talking to a seller directly to be able to find out the reason why they're selling and to be able to negotiate with them directly. So go give Pace follow at Pace Morby on Instagram. You can also find me at Wealth From Rentals and you can find Tony at Tony J. Robinson. If you guys have a side hustle that you are doing, please send us a DM and let us know what that side hustle is. We really want to put together an episode that kind of showcases all of these different side hustles. So that's at Wealth From Rentals or at Tony J. Robinson. Uh, just Slide into whoever's DM you like better, so we can, you know, <laughs> we can have a competition. Or, or slide into both DMs simultaneously. You can do like a little group chat with all three of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you guys, thanks so much for listening, and we will be back with a rookie reply. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals. Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.